I'm a young black man Doing all that I can To stay Oh, but when I look around And I see what's being done to my kind Every day I'm being hunted as prey my people don't want no trouble. We've had enough struggle. No, no peace. I just wanna live. God protect me. I just wanna live. I just wanna live. Hello. My name is Ben Lindsay. I am CEO of a charity called Power the Fight. And it's an absolute pleasure to be speaking to you, St. Peter's. Um, I've been a friend of St. Peter's for a while. Uh, you guys have supported our charity. Uh, I've visited you guys a few times. I've got friends at St. Peter's, so it's a real honor to be able to speak to you uh, today. And uh, what you've just seen is a clip which really demonstrates and shows what the whole world has really been talking about in the last few weeks the untimely, the horrific, the racist murder of George Floyd by police officers in America. And the danger here in the UK is that we think that's an isolated incident or even more damaging that that type of police brutality, that type of systemic racism doesn't actually happen here in the UK. If you think that, you would be mistaken. And what I want to talk about today is hope over optimism. How do we as Christians live in the hope of Jesus, but we are also surrounded by such oppression, such racial discrimination, such racial injustice? How do we stay hopeful in Christ? So that's what I want to talk about today. And uh, the verses I'm going to be looking from is from Exodus. So if you've got your Bibles, please go to Exodus 1. And we're going to go from verse 8 to 14. And then I'm going to read one verse in Exodus 2. So uh, if you've got your Bibles, get them. And I'm just going to read from Exodus. So Exodus 1 verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramesses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves and in the next verse 
I just want to read is from Exodus 2 and uh, it's from verse 25 and it simply says this God saw the people of Israel and God knew I'm just going to pray and then we'll see what our Lord wants to say to us today Heavenly Father I thank you that you're the hope of the world you sent the hope of the world your son Jesus for our our sin I pray today that as I unpack your word, anyone who is feeling low, anyone who is asking the question, where is my hope in a world which specifically at the moment is talking so much about racial injustice and may for, for some of us trigger so many memories and emotions of when we've been impacted by racism. God, I pray that we have this opportunity to center our focus on you, your hope, your son, King Jesus. Bless us in your mighty name. Amen. 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 So you have to acknowledge that whether it's racism or whether it's any type of injustice, we know that life can be difficult. Life is hard. There's a great quote from um, somebody most people may know or may not know a guy called Tim Keller in his book Wait, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering he says this the heart of why people disbelieve and believe in God or decline or grow in character or how God becomes less real or more real in us is suffering many people will make a decision whether they believe in God or not based on suffering you hear that a lot. How can a good God allow bad things to happen? Elizabeth Elliot says this, suffering is having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. When it comes to racism, I personally as a black man do not want to be discriminated uh, against because of the colour of my skin. And what we want is equality more than anything else but the question i have often thought about is how could a good god a just god a loving god allow such misery depravity grief and pain and anguish when it comes to being a black man in this world when we see so much police brutality when we see so much discrimination in the education system, when we don't see representation in the top positions across the country, when I've seen life-threatening acts of racism with me personally or with people who I've known. How can you let this happen, Heavenly Father? How can you let this happen to a George Floyd or a Trayvon Martin and then multiple other black men and women that we've seen in America or a Stephen Lawrence in this country, there are multiple things that we've seen or even let's take it right back to slavery 400 years ago. These are the questions. How can you let this happen, God? You are just God. You are loving God. The Bible talks about all these things that you are, yet this stuff seems to happen. How can we live well in hope and positively in the face of hostility? 
How can we experience hope in a broken, sinful world? Well, I think Exodus 1 and 2 has answers. Uh, God has answers. Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, has answers. For us to put what I've just read into context, we, we just a very quick history lesson. God, in, in the, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, promised a guy called Abraham that his descendants would be more numerous than the stars in the sky, that they would be a great nation and have their own land. From the, from the descendants would come one who would defeat Satan. And if that's trying to spoil the story, that is Jesus. 400 years before Exodus, though, 400 years before Exodus 1, and this is important, there is a famine that threatens to wipe out Abraham's descendants. But through God's provision, they are saved by Abraham's great-grandson, a guy called Joseph. Yes, that same guy with the Technicolor dream coat. And then his people move to Egypt. But then 400 years later, there is a problem. And we've just read that problem in Exodus 1, 8 to 14. They were initially welcomed, but then they were resented and feared and oppressive measures were imposed. Now, for some of us, this might actually sound quite familiar to modern day Britain, because in the 50s, uh, people from the Caribbean were invited to this country to help uh, with the lack of uh, people power, the lack of workforce after the war. It's the Windrush generation. They came on, on the boat called the Windrush and many people came here and the, 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 the sole objective was to work and they were invited here as being part of the Commonwealth. But if you're familiar with what's happened recently over the last few years with the hostile immigration environment which has been created by our government, many of those same people have been similarly resented, feared, and also been sent back. It's funny how history repeats itself. Now you see this promise going back to Abraham 400 years prior to what I've just read in Exodus became under threat. And it came under threat, and I'll just say this quickly in three ways. Firstly, it became under threat because Pharaoh, as we've just read, works the Hebrews ruthlessly. So he's working them so hard, there is no time <laughs> or no energy to do anything apart from work. I think the plan really was if I work them hard enough, I'm not going to have time to reproduce. They're not going to have time to have sex. But the plan fails and they actually do multiply. I mean, the, the second threat which happens to this, this, this promise of, of God that Abraham will have descendants, and more importantly, there will be one who will defeat Satan, is that later on in, the, in, the, in that chapter, Pharaoh says he's going to kill every newborn boy. But the plan fails. These, these, these bold women, these midwives, feared God more than they feared Pharaoh and put some plans in place for that not to, to happen. And then the third threat, effectively, as you continue to read Exodus 1, is genocide. All infant boys, not just the firstborn, 
all infant boys are killed. But again, the plan fails due to these five heroic women, which include Hebrew midwives and others, including the mother and sister of Moses. They conspire to hire baby Moses. And that eventually results in Moses being raised by his Hebrew sister, so his Hebrew mother, and being raised into an Egyptian palace. The story is that he eventually is the one God sends to set the Hebrew slaves free. We have to understand that the environment of this particular time is full of slavery, it's full of murder, it's full of genocide, it's full of suffering, it's full of adversity. And it's history repeating itself 400 years prior to this time when we see the same kind of thing with the transatlantic slave trade. And the question remains, how can a good God, how can a good God, a just God, a loving God allow such horrific acts, such misery, such depravity, such pain, such anguish to happen? But we get to this verse, this key verse. God saw the people of Israel and God knew, which demonstrates that God is not an inactive, he's not an inactive father. He's a God who sees people's pain and he acts justly. That's the history of the Bible. You read any story, God acts, he sees what's going on and he uses his people. He uses people to demonstrate his justice. So for the remainder of the time that I've got, I just want to quickly talk about why there is suffering and how do we work through it? This tension between grief and hope, this tension between hope and optimism. And I suppose today, if you're, especially if you're a person of colour, I want to give you some encouragement. I want you to know, very similar as it says in Exodus 2, God sees, God knows. God saw his people and God knew. God is on the move. We're in this Kairos moment right now, this monumental moment. Kairos is just a Greek word for significant, where for the first time, and when I speak to my parents and my grandparents or my grandparents' generation, they would say, this is something very different, that the world is beginning to see the plight of black people. And the question is being asked, what can be done? So, why is there suffering? How do we handle it? There's quickly three points. We have to understand, number one, that when it comes to suffering, but let's specifically look at racism, this isn't, or this is, a kingdom issue. It's not just a black and white issue or anything which we just see tangibly. This is a kingdom issue. And I think Dom, who spoke uh, a couple of weeks ago, he said a similar thing. It's a kingdom issue. We need to understand the bigger picture. Now, when I was a young boy and um, for my sins, I support Chelsea. Don't switch off, please. But my, my dad took me to uh, games when I was young in the 80s and 90s. And he always used to take me to the shed end of, of, of Stanford Bridges, which, which is the home of Chelsea. And the shed end was just behind the goal which was great for atmosphere. But as a little kid, when the game moved up to the other end of the pitch, it was very difficult for me to see and to see the goal. What I found when I got older, we went to the West Stand, 
which was the, basically the goal where you could see everything in landscape and you could see the whole game. And whether it went up one end or the other, you got the complete picture of the game. You see, when it comes to suffering and pain, we currently only see one perspective. <laughs> we, we see maybe behind the goal, but what we need is a wider lens view. We need a landscape view. And that landscape view is that we have to understand that sin is the reason why everything is broken in our world. It was our rebellion which has caused this sin to come into the world. The earth has sin, our hearts have sin, everything has sin. We need to understand when we read Ephesians 6, which is very specific about our battle isn't against flesh and blood. There's a spiritual battle going on in the heavenlies which we do not see. We have to understand that the Old Testament is dominated by Satan's ongoing rebellion against God. Satan's strategy from the very beginning is to stop the promises of God, the seed of Abraham, flourishing. Now that means, that means there's pain for anyone who is a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. And that same strategy is what's playing out today. The enemy, Satan, is trying to destroy the people of God, his church. But we know that, we read the end of the story, Satan failed, Jesus was born, he won, and then Jesus promised this. He was going to build, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Sexism will not prevail against it. Ableism will not prevail against it. Racism will not prevail against it. Any evil will not prevail. This is our hope. It's very much like I'm sure you're all culture people at St. St. Peter's. So very much like when you go to the Opera House, like maybe you've gone to the Vienna Opera House and all you see is the stage. You see the front stage, but you don't see the, the mechanics behind the stage, which is working. There is this cosmic battle going on behind the stage of our lives, which we can't see. This, our lives represent the visible world, the stage. But behind the scenes, there's this invisible kingdom, this kingdom issue, this spiritual battle, which we don't see. This is the reason why the Hebrews were going through so much pain and suffering. And this is the reason why over generations, black people have gone through so much suffering. We have to understand that all suffering in this world is a result of sin. It's this ongoing battle which is happening. And it provides, when we understand it like this, when we get a wider picture of why this stuff is happening, it provides context to our pain and our grief. And we need to understand this because if not, it's a bit like going to, a doc going to the doctors for a particular issue and it gives you a misdiagnosis. I go to the doctor and I've got stomach pain, but it gives me headache tablets. No, I need the correct diagnosis and then I can get the correct solution to the problem. And we need to understand that the deep rooted problem is sin. The second thing I want to talk about is in helping us to understand why this stuff is going on. If that's the why we're in this situation, then the bigger picture is a question about how. How do we remember his promises and how do we make sure that our faith is strong 
when we navigate through this broken world. A friend of mine, um, a good friend of mine, Anika, uh, was probably one of the first people I saw who I or who I I saw lead, I led to Christ, um, and then see them suffer in a very horrific way when she was diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer. Um, and she was diagnosed this this cancer when she was uh, pregnant with her second child, and she was in her early thirties. And uh, she'd just become a Christian, and then this happened. And it was interesting just to watch and, and walk with her during this period. Um, and what she would say is that it clarified her identity in Jesus. This, this struggle that she went through. She found confidence in the purposes of God. It enabled her to be courageous in the faces of ad adversity. It created this like steel running through her, this, this rod. And she would say things like, you know, and I couldn't believe she would say stuff like, you know, God's way and timing isn't ours. And whatever happens, it will be the best desired outcome. And I used to think to myself, my goodness, how can you say that with such confidence, knowing that you might not even grow old to see your kids get into secondary school? In the face of adversity, my friend, um, she trusted God over her circumstances, held onto the promises of God. Verses like this is what we'd often talk about from Isaiah 43 too. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. It's like present hope. God will sustain you. Or verses from like Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Again, it's present hope. Or, or the future hope, where it talks about in Revelation 21, 4. Remember, me and Anika used to talk about this as well. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. We have to hold on to this present hope, which it talks about in Isaiah and in the Psalms, but also look to the future. We, some of us right now are going through some really painful times. It might be illnesses. It might be loss. Let's not remember that we are still, no matter what uh, pubs you might be, you might have gone to over the last week or so, we're still in this global pandemic. We may well have lost loved ones and close friends during this. Maybe what is going on with George Floyd has brought back painful memories for us as people of colour. You're now maybe having conversations that you thought you would never have. Maybe there's trauma, un you know, unhidden trauma, trauma that you didn't even know was there. Some of us are asking ourselves, how do we handle our suffering and adversity in this period? And you can suffer well, and you can also suffer badly. We need to be clear that there is a Christian perspective on how we are to suffer. 
See, Christianity, unlike fatalism, says suffering is overwhelming. Christianity, unlike Buddhism, says suffering is, is real. Christianity, unlike karma, shows us that suffering is often unfair. Christianity, unlike secularism, demonstrates suffering is meaningful. Christianity, unlike the culture, the dominant culture around us, isn't something to be avoided or to be denied or to have a quick fix. With Christianity, there is a purpose to it. And it, if it's faced correctly, it can drive us like a, a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and more spiritual power than we can possibly imagine. If we are to get through this period of time, if we are to get through this furnace, we have to trust the promises of the Lord, walk in faith and appreciate it's not all rosy and break the lies. Here's the, one of the biggest lies which we, we, we hold on to in our culture. Bad things do not happen to good people. Yet, when we think about it, the worst possible thing, the crucifixion of a perfect man, happened to the best person. Jesus suffered. And this is my final point, really. Our hope can only really be in the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Elizabeth Elliot again says this, the first principle is that of the cross. Life comes out of death. I bring God my sorrows and he gives me his joy. I bring him my losses and he gives me his gains. I bring him my sins and he gives me his righteousness. I bring him my deaths and he gives me his life. But the only reason God can give me his life is because he gave me his death. You see, if you're a black person, a brown person, and you're watching this now, and you are struggling to understand what is going on and where's our hope and how do I get through the day, understand that the suffering that you're dealing with, if you're a black or brown person, Jesus relates to. He's our great high priest, as it says in Hebrews, who relates to our sufferings. You see, in a weird way, Jesus experienced the reality of what would be known in America as state-sponsored terror. He relates to police brutality. <laughs> and this should give us kinship with the crucified king, our great high priest. Our crucified king came from an oppressed group of people. But three days later, after that crucifixion by the state, 
Jesus was resurrected, which demonstrates what we need to hold on to more than anything else. That racism, police brutality, the cross does not have the final say, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ does. That's where we put our hope in. We put our hope in that presently, in the present time, and then our future hope is also in that resurrection. That Jesus defeated death. How do we live truly and, and honestly? How do we find hope in this broken world? How do we truly do that? By focusing on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it sounds basic, but it's so true. We need to remember, we need to remember that freedom is never given, it's won. Hope. Jesus had to win. Jesus had to fight for our freedom and for our hope. And we are the products of that. And that's why we have our hope in Jesus Christ. Because we are the product of what happened on that cross. And we are the product of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you are somebody who is looking in to, to Christianity and wondering what is going on with the suffering around us, one thing we, we, we can't say is it's because God doesn't care because he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. Our God is not static. He's not passive when it comes to suffering and pain. And we can see that in the book of Exodus when he sends Moses to set his people free. But Jesus is the greater Moses. Jesus is the greater Moses to set us all free. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God saw humanity and God knew. When God saw Israel, he sent Moses. When God saw the state of humanity, he sent Jesus. If you are suffering through racism right now, understand in this Kairos moment, God sees and God knows. God bless you. Thank you. Have a great week.